Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want to share a few thoughts with you out of the book of Hebrews um, before we take communion and, and then we'll resume in worship. I'm going to read a couple of verses, a few verses out of Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 tonight. For years, people have accused the Bible of espousing a slaughterhouse religion. Blood is everywhere. From the lintels and doorposts being smeared with the blood of the lamb in Egypt on Passover, to the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law, where animals... Throats were slit and they were bled and blood was applied, hyssop taken and the people, the articles of the tabernacle, the priests, all sprinkled with blood. Blood was everywhere and it was continuous. Josephus even tells us that on one Passover, between 250 and 300,000 lambs were slaughtered during that season on the altar in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that kind of volume? How do you handle that kind of blood flow? Well, the way they did it is they actually built a channel, a conduit, a trough from the Temple Mount on Mount Zion that flowed underneath the Temple Mount out into the Kidron stream. There was a little water stream that flowed 2,000 years ago. So there was a bloody river to handle that much blood. And that was the very bloody river Jesus and his disciples walked over after the upper room last supper and they went out toward the Garden of Gethsemane. They went over that bloody bridge of lamb's blood. And he was to fulfill all of that. But the question is why? Why such perpetual flowing of blood un ceasing for hundreds of years? One short answer is sin. It's because of sin. Without the shedding of blood, we'll read here, there is no remission of sin. Now, the book of Hebrews is a great New Testament book. What the author does is shows us, chapter after chapter, how that Jesus Christ is the perfect and final expression of God, better than anything and anyone up to that point, and forevermore. He's the best. He's better. So chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is a better messenger, better than the angels, the writer says in those two chapters. Chapters 3 and 4. The writer says, Jesus is a better moderator. Moses was the moderator of the old covenant under the law. Jesus is the moderator of the new covenant and a better one. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Hebrews, Jesus is a better mediator. In the old covenant, it was Aaron and the priesthood that was a part mediator. They represented uh, God or the people before God. Jesus is way better. He represents God before people and people before God and bridges the gap as we saw last week. Jesus exercises a better ministry. 
We find out in chapter 7 and chapter 8, not like the Old Testament, which only dealt with the outward, the ministry of the New Covenant deals with the inward, the covenant. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 says, there's a better monument than the Old Covenant. The monument of the Old Covenant was a tabernacle, and later on was a temple. Jesus offers His blood in heaven. So that the temple monument is only a model of the ultimate monument of heaven. And finally in chapter 10, it's a better method. A better method. The sacrifice itself, the approach method via the sacrifice is much better because the animals were continual, whereas Jesus did it once for all time. So that is how the the book lines up. And I'm picking it up in chapter 9 and verse 16. For where, where there is a testament, there must also be of necessity the death of a testator. For a testament or a covenant is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made without hands, or made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So why blood? Because blood is a symbol of life and death. You don't have that much blood without having death. The shedding of blood symbolizes death. And why death? Simply for this reason. Because that's what sin does. Sin kills. Sin kills. It kills joy. It kills happiness. It kills marriages. It kills families. It kills nations and cultures and individuals. Generation after generation, that's what sin does. It kills So it will either kill us forever or kill Jesus once and that will be enough in God's sight to obliterate your account and my account of sin and write our name in the book of life. So that's what sin does. Sin kills. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness. There's no such thing as forgiveness light, atonement light. 
If there's no blood, there is no Christianity, there is no sacrifice, there is no salvation. So, the night Jesus had the supper with his disciples, he held up the third cup in the Pesach meal, the Passover meal, and said, This is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. But the writer makes a very important point. In that last verse that we read, speaking about Jesus doing it once, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now watch this. This is out of chapter 10 now, verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The priest's job was never done because we keep sinning. They kept sinning. People keep sinning. So you have another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice. It never ended. It was incessant. It never took away sin because if it did, you'd only have to do it once and it would be over. But it never took it away. But, verse 12, But this man, that is Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. The priests stood daily. Jesus sat down. Priests never sat down. Jesus sat down because he was done. He was done. The priest would stand and stand and then leave and come back the next day and stand and stand and work and stand and go back home and do it again and again. Jesus made the sacrifice and he sat down because one of the last things he said on the cross was, It is finished. Finished. And we've told you before on many occasions that one Greek word, tetelestai. It is finished. A very interesting and satisfying word. Servants, when they were done finishing the task that a master told them to do, would come back and the Greek servant would say to his Greek master, tetelestai. It's done. I've done everything you've wanted me to do. And Jesus was the ultimate servant. He said... I have come to do the will of my Father and to finish it, to complete it. Jesus, the perfect servant, said to the Father, As your servant, I've done the task you've called me to do. To Tetelestai. Finish the task. Priests would sometimes use the word, I am told, when an animal was brought to them and they would examine the animal to make sure it was not only male but without blemish. And if it was perfect, the priest would say, Tetelestai. It's perfect. It's perfect. And that perfect animal would be the perfect sacrifice for that family for that year. And Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed once for all. Artists also used the word tetelestai. They would do a work, make a sculpture, draw a picture. They would step back from it, and if they were satisfied, if the picture was all they wanted to express, the artist would say, tetelestai. It's a completed picture. 
very telling word because you read the Old Testament and you have a picture of God and a picture of salvation and a picture of the plan of God, but it's never completed. You wonder what that was for and what that could mean and why was that done? And then you come to the New Testament and you go, oh, now I get it. Now the threads are tied together. It all makes sense. The picture is completed to Telestai. Paid in full. Merchants also used the word. And it did mean to the merchant, paid in full. You see, if a merchant made a transaction, he would be given or he would give a slip of paper of some kind or papyrus that had the word to Telestai. It's been paid in full. And we've all uh, uh, incurred a debt that we could never pay. And he paid the debt he did not owe. So that word, so pregnant with so many different kinds of meaning, is so fulfilled. And the point the writer of Hebrews is making is not like the old priesthood where you had to have sacrifices every day, all the time, a continual sacrifice. I was even brought up in a Christian system that talked about the continual sacrifice that had to be done. That defies the very work of the New Testament that would say, Once and for all times, once and for all, he sat down. There was a doctor in a small town who was known not only for his medical skills, but for his generous character, godly character. Many of his patients were unable to pay the bill that they incurred as he was their physician. After he died and they examined his books and what people paid, he noticed that there were several patients that had over their account and what they owed something written in red ink by that doctor. And the words were, forgiven, too poor to pay, too poor to pay, forgiven, too poor to pay. Well, after he died, his wife saw the financial handwriting on the wall and she didn't really like the generous character of her husband nor did she share in the same Christian virtues so she wanted to collect the money that those patients owed her husband and took all of them to court to extract the money that they never paid her husband well the judge asked for the evidence to be brought in and looked at the books and said ma'am pointing to the red ink is that your husband's handwriting She said, yes, Your Honor, it is my husband's handwriting, but, and he said, he interrupted her, no buts. Not a court in this land will be able to touch those whom your husband has forgiven. Now, what did did Paul ask in Romans 8? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So whatever accusations the people who know you really well might be making about you. Moreover, the accusations that Satan makes about you every day to the throne of God, there's not a court in heaven, hell, or earth that will be able to take those charges and let them stand when your Father has forgiven you. Paid in full, once for all. That's better than Moses, that's better than the law, that's better than Aaron, that's better than the priesthood, that's better than the ministry of the Old Covenant. 
And that's the theme that this writer is getting at. So, we're about to take these elements and know that they represent the absolute best that God could give. His only begotten, sinless Son in your place and my place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God looks at you tonight through that lens of you being as righteous as His Son. And thus He declares you and will treat you justified. I want you to bank on that. I want you to believe in that. Now, if you've come tonight, but you've never prayed to receive Christ, you've never truly from your heart believed in Him, that's really the most important thing. Right where you are, if the Spirit of God is working in your life, dealing with you, bringing a a level of conviction, you could pray. And and you could reach out by faith and touch God in faith and become a child of God as He is drawing you to Himself. Let's everybody just bow your head with me. And those who need to make their peace with God, would you say to Him right now, God, forgive me. I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. But I place my faith, my trust completely in Jesus, who died on that cross, shed His blood, died, and rose from the dead. And He did it for me. And I turned from my past, and I turned from all of my sin to be washed clean by You. Forgive me. Make me Your child. Write my name in Your book of life. Heal me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.